Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, Harvest KL. I'm excited to jump into God's Word with you again. And I just wanted to just at the very beginning here, just continue to tell you, uh, Marie and I and our, and our kids love you dearly. We continue to pray for you. And, uh, and we uh, ask just continually that God will sustain you and build you and grow you uh, into all that God wants for you. Uh, you're loved from the other side of the world by our family very dearly. Well, we get to jump into God's Word here today, and uh, today uh, I want to uh, speak to you from Matthew chapter 9. Uh, so if you turn in your Bibles there, we're going to look at the last couple of verses of chapter 9 and into chapter 10 here this morning. And I've been given the task by your elders to uh, continue our series, Rise. You remember at the end of John 14, Jesus said, Rise, let us go from here. And we've used that as a theme this year. And just a brief, brief recap, just to even help me a little bit, in February we were talking about rising in our hope. We were just getting a really good gospel foundation. In March, we were rising uh, in our head, uh, just with a with a knowledge of things. In April, it was rising with our hearts, uh, recognizing the internal motivations that, that uh, drive everything in us. And then uh, this month, it's rising with our hands. And, uh, and really, each of these things, head, heart, hands, are representative of uh, different aspects of how we should rise and follow Jesus. And so today, it's, it's uh, a, a message about rising and following Jesus with our hands. Like, how do we serve him? And, and, and what do we do for him? And I'll just tell you a couple of things that just immediately uh, kind of conflict in my mind. As somebody who's seeking to be gospel-centered and have the gospel really at the core of my understanding and followership of Jesus Christ, it's hard to think about rising with my hands like I have to do something because uh, we've so been trying to keep away from a works righteousness and somehow thinking that I contribute to my faith. And yet, uh, and, and that's not really what we're talking about here today. Today, we're talking about rising with our hands as the outcome, notice it's last, of our hope and uh, in the gospel and our head knowledge about Christ and who he is and our heart motivations for, for following him. The, the, the hands come after all of that. So uh, it, it's not that we do these things to earn any favor with God or to make ourselves look better or have better standing with him. Really, it's because we have everything that we need in Jesus Christ, now we can go and we can serve wholeheartedly and fully as we should. Now, I think there's also another tension that rises in my heart because I know that sometimes it's very hard to think about uh, the many different times that I've been in church and they have called us to action to serve in some way and I just begin to think, oh, really? Like, my life is full. Like, I have so many things to do. And now you want to add one more thing. Now you want me to serve. Now you want me to, to be involved in some things. And I would rather just kind of sit and, and just be served. I want the church to serve me. And it's not wrong to want the church to serve you. But, but when I hear these calls to action and volunteer and serve and get involved, uh, I think many of us, I know, struggle with that. And, and I know that because Harvest KL, we, we as a church, when I was your pastor, and, and I know even since I've left, there's lots of things to serve and do. There's lots of opportunities being asked for in that. And yet not, all, not always, uh, it's not always easy to respond to those things. 
And so today, not really to manipulate or twist you into any sort of thing, but really to, I want to dive into God's word and see what it means, what, what Jesus has called us to in his mission. And so I think it's pretty natural to see that Jesus has called us to into his service. We know because we're great commission Christians that he has called us to make disciples. Uh, and there's many different activities that, that happen both inside and outside of the church. We're supposed to make disciples inside of the church. We're supposed to actually be about the work of building people to maturity in Jesus Christ so that we can, we can multiply and have others come into the church. There's a witnessing aspect, and uh, in two weeks when I preach again, we'll be talking a little bit more about that as well. So there's an inside, there's an outside aspect of this, but there's, there's still this crisis of how? How do I find time to do this, and when do I do this, and how do I do this, and so there's a quote by a uh, man named Grant Osborne who wrote a really good book on the, on, the, on, on the gospel of Matthew, just a commentary of sorts, and he says this. He says, therefore, it is not enough to just attend church. We must begin serving the Lord in and through the church. Too many people are content to simply sit in the service and listen. Jesus does not allow that. He demands that we get to work and use our gifts to enhance the body. For too many Christians, Jesus is little more than the last line item on their portfolio. Medical insurance, accident insurance, mortgage insurance, life insurance, and now eternal insurance, paid for by church attendance. They are playing games with their eternal destiny, and they must wake up to the demands of the discipleship. They must get involved. So today trying to help us wake up to the demands of followership, discipleship, rising to follow Jesus and get involved in what Jesus wants us to, uh, to be involved in in this way. And so the title of my message here today is Laborers for the Harvest. And really what I want us to see here today is this, Jesus calls followers to labor in his mission. Jesus is calling followers, people who are rising to follow him, into labor in his mission. And so let me read the text, and then I want to walk through the text and explain it a little bit. And then we're going to come back to this, this statement about Jesus calling followers to labor in his mission and try to unpack how do I get my heart in, in the right place so that my life actually follows that as well. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 30, starting in verse 35. We're going to read down to chapter 10, verse 2 or so. It says this, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, actually in the region of Galilee. He's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." Notice there's a chapter break here. This is the end of the chapter, but really uh, the next couple of verses are intended to go together. Uh, chapter breaks are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're just man marker, man-made markers to help us be able to see uh, and catalog the, the scriptures a little bit. So let's just keep reading into the next couple of verses. 
It says in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. And then the verses 3 and 4 uh, kind of list out the twelve who were called as apostles at that moment, but I want to end right here. So I'm suggesting to you that Jesus calls followers to labor in his mission. And I want us to really kind of break down what we've just seen to, to try to explain the text to you in three different parts. Notice the first verse that we read here really is explaining the mission of Jesus. That Jesus has a mission that comes out of the authority that he has. Now, uh, to, to really understand this verse, we can't just pull a verse out of Scripture and read it. We need to understand the context, right? We need to understand where it fits in the rest of the paragraph and, and the chapter and ultimately how it fits in the, in the author's intent for the book as a whole. And so, remember, Matthew is written as a gospel by the disciple named Matthew, uh, written to a Jewish audience in the early church. So, so it, it's an epistle to the church talking about who Jesus is and who they are rising to follow. It's written in particular to the cultural context of the Jews to help them understand Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who was promised in the Old Testament scriptures, who they've been looking and waiting for, had rejected, but now have the chance to actually believe and follow. And, and as Matthew writes this gospel, he actually, in a sense, commentates or explains the whole Old Testament in the book of Matthew. And in his explanation, he uses five uh, preaching blocks that Jesus gave, five of Jesus's verbal teachings. They're called uh, a discourse. And the first discourse, you would be familiar as the Sermon on the Mount. That's in chapters 5 to 7. The second discourse is actually here in chapter 10 that, we're, that we didn't read, but this is the setup to it. And this is where he commissions them to mission. The third discourse is chapter 13, where it's the parables of wisdom. And chapter 18 is the discourse that helps us explain that Jesus' kingdom priority at this age is the church. And then last, the last discourse is chapters 23 to 25, where he tells us about the end times. It's oftentimes known as the Olivet Discourse. You may have heard that term before. So Matthew has set this book up to under, help us understand who the Messiah is. And in the first segment, in the first discourse, the Sermon on the Mount and the description that happens afterwards is trying to explain to us the authority of who Jesus is. And Jesus has been on mission to reveal himself as the authoritative Messiah of the Old Testament. And we pick up the story right now, right before the beginning of the second discourse, where the followers of Jesus are commissioned into mission. And what we see here is a summary statement in verse 35, where Jesus is going through all the different cities and villages in Galilee. And he noticed three things. He's teaching in the synagogues. Secondly, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom his message of, of freedom. And then thirdly, he's healing every disease and every affliction. This is the mission of Jesus. And he has the authority we have seen in the first part of the book of Matthew. He has the, the authority to go about doing these various things. And what we find in this first section that is so unique is that Jesus is doing his mission by himself. He's called some disciples to follow him and to learn from him, but he hasn't yet commissioned them into any sort of labor or ministry or work for him. He's been doing all of the work because he has the authority. 
but we're going to see here that he transfers that authority to others, including down the line, even to us today, to be about the work in his kingdom. And so in this, I want you just to see, first of all here, that Jesus has the authority to be on this mission. And it comes from the Father. We're going to even see that in just a moment. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus is motiv motivated for mission by compassion. Notice here, it says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he, he, he didn't have disdain for them. He didn't have distaste for them. He, he wasn't so depressed because of how, how bad things actually are. Notice what it says. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what we see here is a couple important things when we look at the motivation of Jesus and what I'm gonna to suggest to you should be the motivation that we should have to be laboring in Jesus's mission. First of all, notice that he sees people's needs. It says, when he saw the crowds. Now, that seems like so simple. We could run right past it, but notice that Jesus sees. Jesus sees harassed people. Jesus sees helpless people. Jesus sees when there's leadership that should be protecting, but is instead devouring and preying upon those that they're supposed to be taking care of. Jesus sees that. And when we interact with leadership in the world today, so many times the reversal happens. It's, it's leadership that actually harms instead of helps. And Jesus sees that. And when he sees that and he sees people in their needs, he, he, he has compassion. Notice he feels the compassion. He had compassion for them. That's his response. Appreciated uh, 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 a commentator who said this, Mission is not motivated by Jesus' disgust for people because they are such sinners, but by the simpler fact of Jesus' compassion for lost people. The beginning of mission is compassion for the lost. And that's what we see Jesus here doing. He, he sees people's needs, then he feels compassion for them. He's motivated for mission by compassions. And then notice, he knows what they need. He knows they need spiritual leadership. That's really this whole illustration that, that Matthew writes in here about the sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, it's easy to look at sheep and think, well, they're just dumb and you just got to take care of them because that honestly is kind of what they are as animals from my understanding. And so many times when we are called into the mission of Jesus Christ, we see people incorrectly. But Jesus sees them correctly here. He sees them fully here. He, he sees them as... as his own creation. He created them to be dependent upon spiritual leadership. That's how he's created us. And so in creating that, he, he knows that they need the spiritual leadership, but he sees that the spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders that he, had, he has been kind of against up to this point, he sees here that they have been, it's actually this terrible picture of, of a wolf who has taken into the flock of sheep and grabbed one of the sheep and is now tearing that, that little animal apart. And, and, and that animal is helpless to defend itself and, and the wolf is there devouring it. And, and Jesus sees with compassion people who are harassed and helpless. 
When they're harassed, they're distressed is actually what it means. When they're helpless, it means they're downcast. They're down, downcast, excuse me. They're, they're just so depressed by life, they just don't know where to turn. Jesus sees that. And he's not demotivated when somebody's in that spot. Jesus loves to help the helpless. It's those who think that they're strong that he has difficulty helping. And so Jesus here, I wanted you to see, he has a mission. His mission is to teach and to proclaim and to heal. And he's motivated to do those things by compassion when he sees people's needs. He feels the compassion for them. He knows that they need spiritual leadership. But notice also he says, then in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He says, there's a problem here. I have a mission. I'm motivated to, to help people, but the problem is the harvest is so plentiful that it's so overflowing. There's so many crops in the field that are mature and ready to be harvested and brought into the barns uh, uh, that, that I'm creating here. But the problem is there are, the laborers are few. There's not enough workers to actually harvest everything. And so whatever is not harvested will just rot and die in the fields. Jesus is motivated out of compassion because he sees the needs. He feels compassion. He knows the spirit, that they need spiritual leadership. And he understands the timing of the harvest is such that there is, in our lifetime, there is a harvest to be had. And he, Jesus' mission to proclaim the nearness of the kingdom is so extensive that he needs many more workers to assist him in, in the harvest of that. And so that's why we then see multiplication. This is the third thing that I would just want you to see here as I explain the text. Jesus has a mission that's motivated by compassion. And therefore, because he has compassion for all people in all circumstances and situations, there's a need for the multiplication of laborers. So he says this in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, this is what we should do because there is this issue and this problem. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A couple of things I would just want you to notice here. Pray earnestly. That's that fervency and the continual nature of that. And you don't give up and you don't stop and you just continue to pray. It's, it's the most common word, adjective used to describe how we should be praying in the New Testament. Just that earnest, fervent, continual praying that we're called to. What are we supposed, who are we supposed to pray to? Notice, to the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. So he says the problem here is the harvest is plentiful. We don't have enough laborers. By the way, it's my harvest that I'm trying to accomplish here. It's demonstrating his authority even in that. And then he tells us what to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. So we are supposed to be on our knees praying, God, please send out laborers into your harvest. When's the last time that that's something that you prayed? And yet right here, it's a direct command in scripture. Like, like part of your prayer life isn't just praying for my big toe hurts and my aunt has surgery and, and all the things that we need. Those are things we should pray for, okay? I shouldn't say that too derogatively. But, but really understand there's things in Scripture that we are told to be praying for that are just as important as your big toe and your aunt 
and they have nothing to do with you. They actually have something to do with just praying out of obedience because you have the heart for what God has a heart for. Pray that God would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, while we might have been confronted a little bit, but like we haven't prayed like that recently, that's okay. No, you, can, you can start today. Repent. Begin today, right? That's the pattern of, of Scripture. When we see something that we're missing, we just like, okay, Lord, I was wrong. You were right. By faith, I'm going to begin to do those things. I'm going to live those things out, right? So I think in a lot of ways, that's, that's pretty easy to be praying for laborers in that way. But I want you to notice something incredibly important that you don't just stop reading at the end of verse at the end of verse 38. It's the last verse of the chapter, but don't stop reading, keep reading because you'll notice something vitally important. In verse 38, Jesus is saying to disciples, that meaning to to followers and at this point there was a large group of followers. It wasn't down to just the few that we're going to talk about in a second. At this point, it's, it's, it's a group of followers of unknown number and size. It's a large group of people following him, and he says to them, pray for laborers to be sent out into, the, into my harvest. And then in, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are, and then we get the names. This is so cool. You have to understand what Jesus just did here is said, I, I want you to pray for laborers to go out in my harvest. And oh, by the way, there's 12 of you here who I'm actually calling into this. Actually, when it says, and he called to him his 12, this is the first time that we are see the 12 identified as a unique group of disciple followers from the larger group of disciples. And in this, it's, the calling isn't just like, hey, could you come over and stand with me for a little bit? It's actually like, like a summons that you get from court where you have to appear or you're in trouble. It's like a king who has written a note and says, I want Nate Newell to come and visit me. Well, if a king summons you, you don't say, well, maybe if I want to or not, if it's, the timing's good or not, right? You, you go. When, it's, when he's there, you're early, you're prepared, you're ready. The, this calling is something that, is, that is, is something that we see they're compelled to be answering and to do. And Jesus calls, he separates 12 into this calling for himself. He gives them authority. Notice the, the, the section that we have just read in Matthew up through chapter 9, from chapter 1 to chapter 9, is talking about the authority of Jesus, and Jesus who's on mission by himself, but now he's, he says, I'm going to bring in some new followers who, are, who, are, who I'm summoning, and I'm going to give them not just the call, but I'm going to give them the authority to do the ministry. And then notice something strange in verse 2, the names of the 12 Disciples, are you looking at your Bible? Not disciples, apostles. This is the first time apostles is used in Matthew. It's the only time in Matthew that the word apostles is used. Uh, really, it's in noun form here, apostolos, but really from the verb that means to send. And 
this is really not a technical term. A lot of times when we read the Bible, we understand capital A apostles. There's an office of apostle that was given to these 12 men, but this is not yet fully the office of apostle. This is the precursor to that where Jesus is just using the term of sent one, of a messenger who, who goes out from an authority, and he's just saying that, that these are now going to be something different. They're called into an authoritative status for my kingdom work to happen. Now, as we read the book of Acts, what we find is that the office of apostle was for these particular men, and, and, and that office of apostle is something that no longer f- uh, happens in our world, to, world today. Although there is a gifting, there, is a, there are messengers who are sent, there are apostolic type of things, they don't have the apostolic authority in the fullness of what we have at, that, at this moment. All of that to say, what I want you to see is the multiplication. Jesus doing ministry by himself then going, there's a harvest that needs to happen, I, and there's not enough laborers, so pray for that. And oh, by the way, as you pray for that, I'm calling you into that role, and you are going to be a sent one for me. You are going to be a laborer for me. In this, notice how the multiplication works. One, we should be praying for it. Two, we should be listening for a call from God in, into what he's sending us into. And then three, we need to go. We're sent. We're, we're going. What happens with these, these 12 apostles is they are sent into a short-term mission strip immediately after this. All of this, I want you to see, is that Jesus is calling you to labor in his mission. Let me say that one more time. Jesus is calling you to labor in his mission. You say, what, who, me? (laughs) Yes, you. Jesus is calling every believer, every disciple is supposed to be praying for laborers, listening for how God wants to use them in this specific role, whatever that may be, and then ultimately obeying and going into that. Jesus is calling you to labor in his mission. So many times, though, we, we see that and we're just like, oh, I can't do that. I don't know that I can, I can actually uh, do what Jesus... Because I go back to the very beginning of the message. I'm so busy. I've got so many things going on. And, and, and it's just hard to, to know if I'm actually qualified and if I'm ready. And, and, and we come up with all sorts of excuses, all sorts of reasons why we think that somebody else should do it. And that it's not actually upon us to do this. But what I'm trying to get us to understand, kind of like at the very beginning, that quote that I just used, I want us to wake up to the demand of discipleship. I want us to wake up to the reality that if you're going to rise and follow Jesus, that Jesus calls his disciples to be praying for laborers. Are you doing that? And then be listening for, he might use your prayers and he might hear your prayers and use you as the answer to the very prayer that you're, that you're praying. You might be praying for a laborer. Lord, would you raise up uh, some new workers in our church? And then he might be actually calling you to be the answer to that prayer and calling you to obedience to go into that. And I think we have to just really wrestle down. Many times I think we don't pray these, this prayer not because we forget but because we don't want to actually be the answer to this prayer. I, I think we struggle sometimes with, with just the, the, the fact that Jesus might reorder my life to serve in his harvest. And I, 
I don't know if I really want that to happen. You know, I kind of like slow Sunday mornings. I don't know if I want to be up early serving in some way. I, I kind of... I kind of want to protect my time. I want to protect the, the, the activities I'm involved in. I, I'm in some important business and important roles in life. And I would just say that in all of this, I don't know that God is actually calling you to any sort of professional, like, uh, mission work of any sort. I would just say that God wants to use you as a laborer in his harvest. And the next time I preach, we're going to even talk about how he wants to do that within the life that you are living right now. But in that, is your heart willing for that? I think many times we would just say, you know, Pastor, I'm okay with you preaching that part about praying for laborers. I'm really kind of disturbed by the idea that God would want to use me to do that. I'm scared of that. I'm unsure of that. I'm resistant to that. I mean, I don't want to be blatantly disobedient, but I, I really don't want to follow that. I was thinking a little bit about that, and, and I was thinking, uh, in all of that, the, the one that is calling us to rise and follow him is really the perfect example of doing this very thing. If you remember, in John chapter 20, we see that Jesus says uh, a, an amazing thing. On the night of the resurrection, the moment that he first appeared to the disciples uh, on the night of resurrection day, after in the morning, Mary, Mary had, or, or uh, I'm sorry, Martha, no, Mary, excuse me, had seen Jesus at the tomb. That night when he meets with the whole group of disciples, as he stands among them, he says, peace be with you because they're afraid. In John chapter 20, verse 21, he says this, Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In all of this, what I want you to see is that Jesus is being consistent to what he said in Matthew chapter 9. Pray for laborers, and oh, by the way, I, I, I might ha- answer your prayer by making you a laborer, because it's consistent with who I am, what I did, and then ultimately what I've called you to do. You see, if we're going to rise and follow Jesus, we have to remember that Jesus said here, as the Father sent me, I'm the model of being sent into the harvest field. And as, I'm, as I've been sent to do that, even so, I am sending you. That if we believe in the resurrected Jesus, if we believe in the gift of salvation that has been given to us and and that we get to have the presence of of God forever because of the restored relationship that was bought by the blood of Jesus, if we believe in that, then Jesus says, as I've been sent, so I'm sending you. Philippians chapter 2 even maybe describes this a little bit further, describes kind of what was going on behind the scenes in the Son being sent. In Philippians chapter 2, it actually, in verse 4, starts out with this. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Really, I think we've already seen that in another way in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. I mean, so many times we see the distress around us. We see the discouragement and the depression of people around us. We see those things, but we don't have compassion. It's kind of like what happens in my house when something is lost, maybe a pair of socks, for example, and, I'm, and we're looking for a pair of socks, and, and, I, and I tell one of my kids, hey, could you go look for those socks? 
and we're looking all around and, and nobody can find the socks. And, and, and then somebody realizes that the socks were right there in front of them. And in our house, we say, uh, are, were you looking like a man? In other words, what we often find in our house is that the men in our house don't look nearly as carefully into the details as the women in our house do. And so when we say, are you looking like a man? We're saying, were you looking, not seeing the object that we were seeking that was right in front of you because you were blinded to that? So many times I think that's how we look and Jesus is confronting that. And when he sees the crowds, when he looks not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others, and he has this compassion where he says, I'm going to be the model of somebody who's sent into the labor, into the field, into the harvest field. And he goes on in Philippians 2, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. On and on it goes. The point of the passage I'm trying to make is this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Jesus towards the people around you that he wants to harvest don't look like a man. <laughs> look like Jesus. Have the eyes of Jesus. And it says you can have this. It's yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be seeking to have a heart that's aligned with his. Which is why I believe that the primary thing that we are told to do in this text is to pray. Because prayer is not making God aware of a laundry list of items that he doesn't know about. He already knows everything that you bring to him in prayer. Prayer's purpose is not to let God know something that he doesn't see going on in the world. He knows all of those things. Prayer's purpose is to bring my heart into alignment with his heart. The reason why Jesus says the problem is the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and the solution is prayer, is because when you begin to pray for laborers in the harvest, you begin to have your heart aligned with Jesus' heart that has compassion for people and sees people and is motivated into mission because people need the Lord. You see... Jesus fulfills. Jesus fulfills everything that is lacking in me to have compassion and to see the need for laborers. And when I pray, and listen, I should be praying, God, would you please bring laborers into the harvest field? Would you please bring laborers into Harvest KL to do the work of ministry? Would you please bring laborers into our community that would make the gospel known so that new believers are coming? When you're praying those things, the more you pray those things, the more your heart is going to have compassion and break like Jesus' heart broke, and the more you will be prepared to be the answer to the prayer for laborers in the harvest. Jesus is calling you to labor in his mission. And he's saying the way that you begin that process is that you pray. And so I'm just asking here today, would you pray? Really trying to make this 
message as simple as I can. Jesus calls laborers into his missions field. Uh, notice how we twisted it and said, then Jesus is calling you into his mission field, which if he's calling you to be a laborer, he's calling you to pray. It's so clear in the text. He wants you to pray. It's so uh, just straightforward. Be obedient to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field. When are you going to do that? What time of day, each day, will you spend a moment and pray for laborers to go into the harvest field? What, what moment will you begin to align your heart and say, God, what, your will be done, not mine. Lord, whatever, whatever you want to do, send laborers. If I need to be a laborer, send me, show me, help me with that. But, but, but Lord, if it's not me, somebody else, Lord, there's a harvest that is going to rot in the fields unless we bring them in. So, so let's pray for laborers into the harvest field. Jesus says to his followers, rise, come let us go. Rise to what? Rise to a mission that he has. A, a mission that is so extensive that he has called us to be a part of it. A mission that means we pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest field. Let's take a moment and pray for that right now. And not only for that thing that we're told to pray for, but just to pray that God would continue to do a work in each one of us here in this church to be a laborer in the harvest field that he has assigned to each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the privilege it is to see that you have a mission, that you have been uh, completely, 100% faithful to fulfill your mission, Lord, that in the mission that you are motivated when you see people in their need and you feel the compassion and you know the spiritual leadership that is required, uh, Lord, I, I ask that you would um, raise up laborers for the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful. And Lord, if there's not laborers who you want to use to bring in the harvest, then, then there's crops that just die in the fields. Lord, there's people that die in a place where they would otherwise hear and respond to you and follow you. And so, Lord, not out of guilt, but out of compassion and out of a, an alignment of our heart to your heart, would you help us to be praying for the multiplication of laborers? And Lord, if you would use us, if you would call us to something, Lord, would you make us willing Lord, would you break down any obstacle to that in us? Would you prepare us? Lord, would you help us to just take the step of faith, the next right action that you have called us to, whatever that may be? Because, Lord, we know that in that you are glorified. In that we are most align ourselves to you, which is exactly where we want to be. And ultimately, the, the harvest that you want to accomplish will be done. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for uh, this challenge here and ask you to help us to pray regularly for labors. Lord, do whatever you want in us in the process. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.